Welcome to Let's Talk Robotics. I'm your host, Nikki Rousseau, CEO and founder of Exaptic, a robotics company based in Melbourne. This is episode 47, and my guest today is Leonor Ryan. Leonor is actually one of the few people that I've met in person um, that I've had on this podcast, and we met a few months ago for a coffee, and um, so I'm so happy to have you on the podcast today. Welcome. Thank you, Nikki. It's great to be here. Leonor is a specialist when it comes to assisting startups in STEM to go from minimum viable product to market. And your tagline, which I absolutely love on LinkedIn, is facilitating the use of technology and innovation to make the world a better place. Thank you. Yes, it's definitely a passion for me. So tell us about your journey that led to starting your business idea to opportunity. Sure. So as you've alluded to, Idea to Opportunity is about bringing the sum of my skills and experience together to help other people, and in particular, um, in particular, researchers who are founders and women leading STEM or health-based startups. So I started out at uni doing science and engineering. Uh, I had a stint at being a researcher. Decided that wasn't uh, the, the life that I wanted. Um, worked in manufacturing for a few years, and that was where I got interested in business. Uh, so I started an MBA, um, and as I was finishing my MBA, I was approached by uh, the Faculty of IT at Monash University to work in industry engagement because they needed someone who could speak research and also speak business. Um, in that role, <clears throat> excuse me, um, one day a researcher actually walked into my office asking for help in filing a patent because he was about to get on a plane to Japan to speak to Sony about an invention. So we filed the patent in just a few days. And then when he came back, as we'd spent thousands of dollars on it, we started working on strategies to license the patent. And that was really the start of my technology commercialization journey. Towards the end of my time at Monash, I started working with a t- excuse me, started working with a team uh, who had developed uh, a way to increase the transmission capacity of new and existing optical fibre links. And this resulted in the creation of a spin-out company, Ophidium. At this time, I was also doing an internship with a local venture capital firm working on their pre-seed fund. After this, I went to CSIRO, where I worked in technology commercialization in the environment, manufacturing, and energy portfolios, where I led the creation of a few more companies right through to to raising capital. And towards the end of my time at CSIRO, I got involved in the rollout of the Lean Launchpad methodology, and then the creation of CSIRO's ON program. In fact, I was mentoring a team in the Lean Launchpad program who I thought would be great for the ON Accelerator, so I encouraged them to apply. It turns out they included me in the application and suddenly I was participating in the Accelerator. This resulted in Cardihab Proprietary Limited, the first spin-out from the first cohort of the ON program. CSIRO backed me and one of the other team members, Simon McBride, to start Cardihab. So Simon and I went on the founder journey together from incorporation and licensing the IP from CSIRO through to raising the first round of capital. When we closed that capital raising, a new CEO came in to take the business to the next stage. 
And I started Idea to Opportunity to bring the learnings from all of these experiences to other people. Leonor, you've had an absolutely fascinating journey and I would say um, you're probably one of the most experienced and all-round um, startup advisor that there is in Australia today. Tell us about Idea to Opportunity. Sure. So Idea to Opportunity uh, has two streams. Uh, one is uh, designing and delivering entrepreneurship programs and coaching for research organisations. Uh, and the other stream is working directly with startup founders from research and female leaders of STEM or health startups. And I work with them either individually or through my group coaching program, Confidence Circle. So the two, the two streams that you manage, like what takes up most of your time and how do you split it between like managing this in your own business? I know as a, as a fellow startup uh, uh, entrepreneur that you're the chief bottle washer, you do everything, <laughs> but like how do you manage it? <laughs> um, so the, the entrepreneurship programs, uh, it, it depends on the contract I have with the research organisation um, whether they want design and delivery or just design or some delivery or some coaching. So, so that can vary. Um, and then the, the other work with the, the founders directly, um, they, that can be founders from, from anywhere. So it doesn't have to be a specific um, organisation. Um, and, yeah, I, I do a lot of those um, particularly the, the group coaching program, for example, after hours, so that it's accessible uh, and not interfering with, you know, people's day jobs. But, yeah, it, it, it is fun and games running your own business, um, not enough hours in the day. And, uh, yeah, you're right, being responsible for everything from, you know, being the finance person to the IT person um, through to, you know, delivery and, and promotion as well. So it's a, it's a non-stop gig, that's for sure. Yeah, it is. It's quite tough. Tell us a little bit about um, your coaching program in particular. So how long does this work? And, and if someone wanted to be part of it, how do they go about it? Sure. Um, so the Confidence Circle programs are eight-week programs. It's a group coaching program, and it's really about the journey of, of being a, a startup founder in, in the STEM or the health space. So it's, it can be alongside a, an accelerator program uh, or it can be a, a standalone um, piece for, for the participant. And the idea is really sharing your, um, your experiences, having a sounding board, um, talking with people who have that experience, that lived experience of, of the journey that you're on uh, and can relate to that and help you strategize to, to how to deal with different situations. So if someone is already a little bit further along their journey, um, we'll take Exaptic, for instance, not that, not that I'm in that particular field, but um, I've been going for a while. Could, could someone like me even apply to come onto the program? Yeah, so, so what we do is we have a, a call to, to check in and see whether or not it's, it's suitable for you. So, you know, you and I get to know a little bit about each other, about your business, where you're at, um, the kinds of you know, challenges that, that you might be facing in your business, uh, and then work out whether or not this is the, the right program or whether there might be something else instead. Fabulous. So you've worked for corporate, you've had quite a diverse career, um, now running your own business. Like what have been the biggest challenges for you? 
Um, I think that big thing about being responsible for everything that, you know, in large organisations, um, you know, there is an IT department. If your computer breaks down, you know, you ring IT. Um, you know, when, when you're running your own business, you, you don't have that, that, uh, you know, you're responsible for, for everything. Yeah, I, I, I fully resonate with you. I've got some calendar problem at the moment that it keeps on popping up and I'm just going, it's doing my head in. And I'm going, where's the IT person here? And I go, oh, I am the IT person. I have to, <laughs> I have to sort this out myself. So one of your passions is is women um, in STEM and, and there are various spellings of STEM and um, then there's a STREAM acronym as well. But your STEM in particular has two M's. So tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So STEM, S-T-E-M, is, is science, technology, engineering, and maths. The extra M is for medicine. And, and what I'm thinking there is, is medical or health um, businesses because there are a lot of similarities between health and, and medical businesses and other STEM or research-based startups. Yeah, there's much longer timeframes to market. There are regulatory requirements um, you know, it, it's generally B2B sales. Um, so I think there, there's a lot of things that, um, yeah, that we can offer across that space. And in fact, Cardi Hab um, is a digital health company. So, you know, I have experience, you know, particularly in the, the health place. Yeah, I mean, you'd like to think a startup is a startup is a startup, but it's not quite like that. And as you mentioned, each one is quite particular. I mean, there's some general similarities that startups can that can share, but then you need to really specialize a little bit further. Yeah, definitely. So women um, in startup land, talk to us a little bit about the challenges that we're facing there. Um, What's the space like in Australia at the moment for a female founder? So there are a few challenges that, that female founders um, face in Australia, and, and there's been some research on this, um, actually both in Australia and, and overseas. Um, the, the big three are, are gender bias, lack of visibility, and the absence of support and professional networks. Um, the gender bias one, conscious or unconscious, you know, it, it can be um, you know, comments about you should wear a dress or you know wear some lippy right through to um, the fact that women are less likely to to get investment funding um, both in Australia and and overseas um, you know speaking with my male co-founder as opposed to speaking to me even though I was the one who um, you know knew about doing deals and and uh, you know had had the experience actually raising capital um, that, that can come in a variety of forms. The, the lack of visibility, I think, particularly um, the average age of a startup founder is actually 40-something, both male and female, um, but all the press is, is of the 20-somethings and, and usually, you know, the young and gorgeous as well. Uh, and so women who are startup founders in non-traditional areas um, tend to be, uh, you know, left out of those media portrayals that, that when women are portrayed as startup founders in the media, it, it tends to be around selling shoes or clothes or design services and, and you know, far less likely to, to be STEM-based businesses. And then with the support and professional networks, you know, there are female founder accelerator programs and, and some of them are great, but again, often they tend to be focused on women's businesses um, or being a mum uh, and, and being a, a startup founder, 
rather than really the, the business needs of more technical-based businesses. Um, there are women in business networks, but they often don't understand STEM businesses or, or startups. Uh, and then their accelerator programs often can be uh, slanted towards consumer-focused businesses. And again, yeah, deep tech startups are generally you know, a 10 year overnight success. Yeah. Um, and uh, that doesn't fit well necessarily with the three to six months timelines of, of most accelerator programs. So that can be an issue as well. Um, so yeah, for, for women, you know, not having the, often the, the support networks really in terms of um, being able to uh, be, you know, get introductions to, to the right sorts of people, um, the, the right advisors, you know, the, even investors, you know, it tends to, to be an issue. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're probably the three biggest issues I think are in the space at the moment. Listen, I mean, I, I could resonate with a lot of what you said there. I, I think um, women aren't, um, and listen, if I'm, I'm speaking to women out there and you're good at this, my apologies, but generally speaking, women aren't very aggressive networkers. And by that I mean is that they actually, they're really cultivating um, a, a connection that they have. They've gone onto LinkedIn, they put themselves forward. Um, you know, they've maybe invited someone out for a coffee because it all seems too forward, you know, like this, you know, you can't be so forward. But but men are actually quite comfortable doing this. And I, I think that's just something maybe, um, maybe it's just a little bit in women that we, um, that we think this isn't what we should be doing. And um, I, I think you need a visible champion somewhere as well. You know, like you, you need someone that's on your side, maybe even like I'm not speaking particularly on startup land, but in companies that you need someone that can champion your causes for you there. And I, again, don't think we're really good at, at getting that and maybe just having an open conversation with people about it. Mm. Yeah, that, that certainly in, in the literature, there's certainly a lot about um, that, that sort of champion um, both in, in the workplace and in startups you know, is much more common uh, in men's networks than, than it is in women's networks. And that, that's part of the, what the research is talking about, about the, the lack of support and, and professional networks, you know, people who are going to put you forward for things, people who are going to help you advance. Um, that that's often you know missing in women's networks but listen you know we know these things now as women I think it is up to us a little bit because you know the average age of startup is like in your mid-40s we're all assuming by that stage like the love goals and life all and well and clearly often you know what you're dealing with in terms of the business world out there and it's um you know, I, I think it's not a place for sissies. You know, you have to put your big boots on when you step into this arena and you must know um, very rarely is there going to be a free lunch. You're going to have to work very hard and you're going to have to be shrewd about what you're doing. Um, and and there just aren't handouts. And I think um, in a way we also have to flip our thinking about this and just go like this is what's waiting for us and, and be ready for it. Yeah, I think there are ways to manage these challenges. So I, I believe there are three key strategies to, to managing these challenges. Um, one is to have a good support network. And, and I mean that in two ways. You know, there's the people who love you and support you unconditionally, your family, your friends, you know, partners. Um, 
but they don't necessarily understand what it's really like and, and you know, what, why you don't have a real job, um, you know, sometimes. And so it's also really important to have um, a group of people who actually understand the journey that you're on, that, that can validate your experiences and, and that you know that you're not alone in this. And, and that's often the case as we think that, you know, this is happening to me, not realising it's actually happening for a lot of other people as well. Um, and that's why I actually started the, the Confidence Circle program to, to create those networks, particularly when we're starting out. Yeah, it took me years to build a network that, that helped me in that way. Um, and again, you know, if I can help people get there sooner based on what I've learned, um, then that's really important to me. I think also having a sense of purpose, really understanding why you're doing this, you know, having, having that kind of North Star will actually help you navigate a lot of things and the third thing I really believe in is is having a learning mindset so that curiosity the willingness to experiment and learn from your experiments it's a big part about being a startup in terms of running your business but it's also really crucial in not taking things personally to be able to think about your experiences on this journey as a learning experience and examine them in that light and, and work out what you can learn from them rather than it being all about you. Fabulous, fabulous pointers, Leonor. And I particularly um, resonate with that North Star one. You know, when I was on the startup, um, my Collider program that I was on, one of the things that was uh, heavily imprinted on us that I, everyone should be able to articulate what they're doing and you need to be articulated succinctly in a two-minute version, a five-minute version, a 10-minute version so that um, your value proposition that you're putting out there to the market, that you're very clear in your own mind and not fumbling because if you're fumbling yourself, what do you expect your audience to do with this information? Hmm. And it needs to be something, it, to my mind, that you really believe in as well. And, and that helps you communicate it, but it also helps to sustain you through the process as well. If it's something that you you really you know, believe in and, and are right behind you know, why you're actually doing these things. So what do you think the biggest challenges are that female founders face um, besides what we've already covered? So I think... The, the biggest challenges that, that female founders face, um, there's probably three broad areas. So there, there's gender bias, as you know, we've covered a little bit, both conscious and unconscious. So you know, there can be um, conscious bias of you know, an investor only wanting to speak with my male co-founder, for example, um, or being told I should wear a dress to look more professional or, you know, I should wear some lippy or something like that, which, yeah, really in, in this day and age. Um, and then there's, you know, what's probably more attributed to unconscious bias, which is what we talked about a minute ago with that um, less likely to be investment funded and, and you know, being heard as, as pitching. Um, there's, there's a lack of visibility, I think, is, is a really big issue for for women um, who are founding and, and leading, um, you know, particularly STEM startups. Um, these days there is some press, you know, around women and startups, but it tends to be focused on the young and gorgeous. Uh, and, and often, you know, if you're in a business that has shoes or handbags or design services or, but not, you know, non-traditional areas, that, that, you know, the science and technology kinds of areas. And, and the average age of a startup founder 
male or female is 40 something it, it's not 20 something like you know you see in the press so I think that there's a lot of uh, lack of visibility there and, and you know getting your message out because you don't fit that sort of media stereotype um, and then also that whole you know you can't be what you can't see that that people are, are often shocked to find that startup founders tend to be 40 somethings rather than 20 somethings um, and the professional and support networks that, that we talked about a minute ago, you know, again, a lot of what does exist is, is very focused on um, women's businesses or being a mum or um, sort of SMEs rather than startups. Mm-hmm. Um, accelerator programs, you know, are often slanted towards quite consumer-focused businesses and, you know, not not unsuitable for STEM-based startups, but the timelines that, that they work to really don't work. Yeah, that, that 10-year overnight success that we talked about at the beginning of this, um, yeah, timelines for, for accelerator programs are, are three to six months and they're really driving you to have quite a major outcome you know, in that period of time so they can actually showcase you at their demo day. Yeah. Um, but the reality for, for STEM-based startups is that yeah, it takes much longer to, to achieve those kinds of outcomes. Um, and some accelerator programs just have a really blokey culture that, you know, the people run them, the, the presenters that they get in, which, again, just adds to that kind of um, mental overhead, if you like, of, of being a female founder um, and, and navigating the journey. Yeah. Listen, you know, I mean, you've touched on a couple of things, but... You know, the, the accelerator programs, let's face it, they funded, you know, so you you getting some money that's being, there's an exchange of X percentage of my company to go into this accelerator program. That's how my my experience was. And I think that's pretty typical of everything. So, yes, they, they want to see results and things. And um, I think from um, the cohort of 10 companies that I that I was spent my three months with, I'm I'm actually pushed to think maybe four of us are still are still trading and are you know like we've got turnover and we businesses you know like we legitimate businesses, mm-hmm. and um, I agree with you this this focus on you've got an idea and at the end of six months you know like everything needs to be done and and it very rarely works like that and it actually puts a lot of pressure on on the startup the founders like it's it's very very stressful going on these programs i know everyone thinks it's a be all and the end all and it's a great honor to win the you know win a spot on it because you're vying for these things because you have to pitch your idea in the first instance Mm. um i'm assuming that's typical for all the programs because that's what i had to do and um you know yeah yeah, like and and with regards to your it's a 40 something that's normally a founder it's completely true like um i was actually the oldest founder on my my cohort and I there was a youngster with me who happened to be all of 18 years old and who's absolutely flourishing and a great success so but typically speaking it it is it is the older people um because quite frankly no just what do these youngsters know they barely held a full-time job let alone and now you want to go and run a, a company there's there's quite a lot to do there yeah and I think that the benefit of that experience and and also being um you know, more secure in, in yourself, in your life. Um, you know, I think that 
that actually has a, a lot to offer for um, yeah for being a, a startup founder. That I mean, you, you look at um, you know what investors talk about, particularly overseas. You know, they want to actually back founders who've who've been there before and and done that, and you know, mm-hmm. and, and not only have life experience, but uh, but also actually have startup experience. So you know, if you extrapolate that. Um, you know, at least if you've got life experience and uh, in you know, other ways, even if it's working for organisations rather than actually being in startups, um, you know, that that's what people are looking for to back is is actually having you know that that kind of experience and and track record of delivery. Yeah. So so if a founder came to you and your company, like talk me through. How, how do you do all of this? Like, can you give me like a typical, a bit of a, a snapshot of what paces you put them through? Yeah, so it depends if they come to me directly. Generally, it's they're, they're looking for something, um, you know, maybe some help with some pitching or, um, you know, getting ready to, to raise capital. Uh, and so it, it's really then testing a lot of their assumptions, uh, making sure that they've really thought through how they're actually you know, approaching these things, what, what their reasoning is, um, how they're presenting themselves. Um, with, with the confidence circle work, it, it's a much more around um, you know, getting that, that support. So actually bringing together you know, groups of, of like-minded people to actually share their experiences uh, and you know, problem solve for each other, if you like. So you know, I come one week, and, and you know, if I was a participant, say, oh, you know, I've, I've got an issue with uh, my co-founder. I'm I'm having trouble. Yeah, you know, can we talk about that? And and sit down and actually have a conversation about, you know, and strategize with some other people who really understand the journey that you're on, but are far enough away from the problem that they can actually look at it you know, more objectively rather than you who's, you know, absolutely stuck in the middle of that. And so that that's what um, we really focus on is is sharing those experiences and, and helping each other. So it's, it's a wisdom of the group approach um, rather than, you know, being sort of transferred wisdom from me to, to other people um, is, is how I approach that work. So is this a is is this um like could this be a standalone service that you offer people this confidence circle that they can come or do they is this part of a journey that you offer? So the, the confidence circle is uh, an eight week program, if you like, that that people sign up for um, to actually participate in. So they participate as a cohort through okay. that that program, um, and it's really a matter of having a, a startup business um, in you know, a STEM um, you know, or health area and, and wanting to actually participate, share knowledge, you know, gain knowledge around how you actually navigate that um, and sort of the day-to-day, the, the bits that you don't learn in an accelerator or an MBA or, or whatever that, that really are a matter of, of the experience. Uh, but yeah, it, it is a, a a program with a cohort that kind of moves through together. And typically, how many people would you have in such a cohort? Do you have like a minimum or a maximum amount of people? So eight to ten is is a good number of people. Um, that you know, there's enough people in the room to kind of have a diversity of of opinions and experience. 
um, but not so many that um, you can either hide in the corners uh, or you know feel kind of uh, left out of of the experience. So um, yeah, that that's usually a good number. Look, I um you know just from experience, um, having been in a cohort myself, um, to anyone thinking of starting a business out there and, and a little bit of trepidation. I, I think this is the way to go because, you know, often you you don't know what you don't know. And often people will ask questions and you go, I don't even think of that. And here they're asking exactly. the question. This is the thing, you know, they're thinking of other things that you're not even on that page. And you go, oh, there's another thing I haven't even considered. But it gets flagged for you in, in a program like this. Yes. And and it's different. You know, there are two support, two support networks that really... Um, that we need you know there's the support network of of the people who love you and and support you you unconditionally you know your your friends your family your partner but they don't necessarily understand the journey that you're on and and the things that are actually happening in your life and, and how it feels to be on that journey and that's where I think it's important to then have a group like the the confidence circle where you actually have a group of people who really understand what that's actually like and and yeah, often you don't realise that you actually had that question too because um, you hadn't you know, thought about it in that way. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of learning from, from each other. Yeah, and I think typically, um, you know, I, I always think I, I'm not going to ask that question because it sounds so stupid. And then you go, oh, thank goodness someone else asked yeah. it. And then it actually sounds so brilliant. I go, I should have asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. we love second guessing ourselves. So on that, on that theme, how important is an advisory board to, to startups and, and founders? Yeah, so I actually think an, an advisory panel, and I prefer to call them an advisory panel, just to differentiate between a governance board, you know, a board of directors and, and advisors. Um, but I, I strongly advise uh, all of the, the teams, all of the startups that I coach uh, to put together an advisory panel. And certainly we, we had one for Cardihab. Um, and you can access some really great thinking and you know, credibility for, for your startup. You know, these people become um, kind of de facto members of your team, which you know, the, the kinds of people that you can attract um, you know, can, can really give some serious credibility as well as you know, serious brain power to um, your startup. And, you know, it's a way to do this that's, you know, little to no cost for the startup uh, and is also really accessible to, to the people who actually are interested in giving up their time because there aren't the fiduciary duties of actually being on a board, mm-hmm. um, but they still get to, you know, be close to startups, influence startups, um, you know, be part of the, the journey. Um, and so, yeah, i I can't speak highly enough of advisory boards. I think that that's a really good idea. So typically would you be um, paying people that are advisors or how would, how would this go for a startup? So for really early stage startups, you know, pre-revenue startups who are a lot of the, the teams that I work with, um, I would recommend that they're not paying their advisors to to start with. So I think have a have a chat to them and see, you know, what what are they interested in? What actually motivates them? That in my experience, a lot of people actually aren't looking to be paid to do this. Um, you know, they they might want to come to your events or you know be 
profiled as, as being involved with you, that there's lots of other things that, that are value to, to advisors in meeting the other people in the advisory panel. Um, you know, some of the, you know, it's a networking experience for, for them. And, and, you know, if you've put together a good panel, you're introducing them to some really interesting other people as well. Um, so certainly in, in Cardihab, um, we didn't pay our, our advisors. Um, they all got a Cardihab T-shirt. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, um, yeah, and, and we, um, you yeah, kind of held events for them to, to meet each other and, and interact with each other. Um, but, yeah, it, it wasn't uh, a paid position. Um, I know of other teams that, you know, perhaps there's some talk of, of equity or a, a governance role somewhere down the track. And it's almost an opportunity for both sides to, to try before you buy that, you know, before you've signed up to being on the, the governance board and, and, you know, whether that's a paid or an unpaid role, that that comes with serious ramifications for both sides. It's an opportunity to see if you can work together. Do you enjoy working together? You know, how, how is the dynamic? Is this something you're really interested in being part of? Yeah, speaking of ramification, that brings us to investors, you know, and uh, how do you, if someone approaches your company and what are the criteria or important things that you think they should be looking out when they start uh, talking about money and taking, um, you know, X percentage of your company for it? What, what, are some, what are some things people need to be aware of? So to my mind, the biggest thing to look at is actually what, what do they potentially bring other than money? Is it networks? Is it experience? Um, you know, what, what sorts of things? How else can they add value to, to the business? Um, that and, and do you think you can work with them? That, that's a really important because a really important factor because you're going to have a close relationship with these people for some time. And you know, in most um, investment scenarios, you know, they're actually having quite a decent say in actually how your business is run and, and what you, know, you need to, to be doing, that, you know, the things that are reserved to investors. Uh, and so you've absolutely got to be uh, quite clear that you can actually work with these people, that you respect their opinions um, and you know, can negotiate with them over you know, how things might happen um, in order to, to take the business forward. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm sitting here reminiscing about some of the companies that got investments and the, the um, investors and they, the, the stories they were telling me. And um, I always think, listen, when people show you their colours right at the start, take notice and don't don't um, go with your gut feel. I know we need money, but go with your gut feel. You need to know when to walk away and go. This is not a good fit. Absolutely. And the other thing is, I think it, it's incumbent on investees and and this is often the case of you know first time startup founders is not realizing um if you like the, the price of the money or, or the cost of the money that it, it's not just you know x percent of the company um but it is things like you know giving up control in in various ways that it's no longer you know, my company as the yeah. founder it becomes our company as the you know, the group of people who are actually the shareholders. Mm. And I've found that in the past is often that, that mindset has been a problem in the past where 
you know, people are still very much thinking that it's their company and the, the evil investors are telling me I have to do X, Y, Z. Um, you know, you need to go into this eyes wide open and, and understand what, what the ramifications are of, of taking investment and, and how that actually will work um, to, to get the best outcomes. Yeah, I, I wonder whether people or um, companies and CEOs and founders are actually prepared enough for this, because I, I think if they, um, you know, they've gone on a change management journey, you know, they, they actually need to be put through that because they have to completely shift their thinking about this is my little baby that I've been nursing. You know, I mean, someone yeah. someone came to me and said, oh, they want X percentage of Exaptic and they're going to tell me what to do. I would That would be very hard for me to deal with. I can tell you that now. <laughs> I don't know whether that that's possibly not good for me because it's going to be very hard for people to invest. So I would need a very, very good fit with someone to come and say, here's money and this is what we're going to do with it. But I, I think everyone's in the same boat. Yeah, and it's not like going to the bank where, you know, the no. bank, you know, if you've ever had a mortgage, you know, yes, there are requirements to inform the bank of various things, but largely they give you the money and as long as you keep making the repayments, you know, you kind of never hear from them. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not that kind of scenario. Uh, and I, I've actually given masterclasses on this to to startups around, you know, what what does it really mean when you take investment? And, and I had someone come up to me at the end of one of them and say, oh, oh you, you were very negative about that. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, that wasn't my intention. I said, I actually have taken venture capital and, and I would again. Yeah, I'm not, not against it at all. What I'm trying to give you is, is an eyes wide open approach that I'm trying to explain to you. These are the things that you actually need to think about. And is this actually a good fit for your business, where you want to take your business, um, and have you got the right kind of business for, for investment capital as well? Because not all businesses fit with their with the investors' model of you know, returns and so forth. So knowing where you fit with all of that can save a lot of heartache, you know, whether that's rejections or whether that you know, is, is getting investment, but then having you know, a lot of arguments around um, you know, the direction of the, the business. Um, it's really important to understand all of that up front. I'm delighted to hear you give masterclasses in this. Is this related to the um, the tram program that you're running? So translating research at Melbourne, where you the entrepreneur in residence. So I I have done it for other universities as yep. well, but on a sort of one-off basis of coming in to, to do a masterclass. Um, and yes, that is you know, part of what um, we deliver as as part of the the tram program. Uh, as well so talk to me a little bit about what the tram program is how long has it been running how many people do you have through so tram actually has a number of has a suite of programs so going from um, boot camps you know for for researchers who really want to uh, check out you know is this for me I'm kind of thinking about commercializing my research you know maybe this you know entrepreneurship thing might be good um, so that that's uh, Tram X, and then there's uh, the Tram Track, which is really working out. Okay, does anybody care about the problem that you're solving? You know, what what is the problem you're solving? Because often researchers um, are thinking much more about the solution, you know, than than the problem. Uh, 
and, and you know, there's a, a phrase that goes around universities in particular is that often it's a solution looking for a problem. Uh, and so this is really getting you to get your head around that. And, and the way to do that is to get out and talk to potential customers. So tram track is really around uh, getting out and, and doing that customer discovery piece and learning, um, you know, do people actually care about the problem that I'm solving and, and is the solution I've developed um, on the right track? Is that the sort of thing that, you know, resonates with people as a solution? So then once they've been on that journey, um, that we then offer tram runway, which is the next stage. So that's really looking at, okay, if people seem to, to be interested in what I'm offering, what are kind of all the other things that I need to know? So then we get into things like um, establishing, you know, what's the market size and, um, you know, things like, um, you know, what's, what's the value chain and, you know, where, where are the customers really in terms of the, the value chain for the work that I'm, I'm doing? And if they've come through that and, and are convinced that, yes, you know, that there really is a, a business opportunity here, um, then they can do the Tram Air program, which is actually the program that, that I run for, for Tram. And that starts off with how do I incorporate a business? So how do I, you know, they go from being a, a team out of research to actually creating a, a company uh, and then going through um, a lot around how to uh, negotiate with the university to, to get access to the IP, for instance. Uh, and the idea is that at the end of the, the Tram Air program, that they're ready to actually enter uh, an accelerator program um, to, you know, perhaps they've got their first customers underway um, and on their way to, to raising their first round of capital. So it's much more focused on then what do I need to do in terms of building and, and running a business? So um, go to market plans, all, all of those sorts of things we, we talk about in Tramair. So is this predominantly for people affiliated with Melbourne University or can anyone apply and get in? What, what, how do you do this? So the, the TRAN program is for researchers at the University of Melbourne and in the uh, Parkville Biomedical Precinct. So there are a number of research organisations that are located um, quite nearby the, the University of Melbourne um, and they're part of that precinct. And so the researchers from those organisations are also eligible to participate in the program. So fantastic. If you're not part of that cohort, then you go to Leonor for idea to opportunity and you go into <laughs> that cohort. So we're covering both aspects here today. <laughs> Tell me how we were just chatting briefly about you had a class this morning and um, you've been doing this for two years with COVID. So like we pros at this, um, it's, it's all Victorians because we so practice that lockdown. Um what have been challenges for you? How have you navigated COVID? Tell us a bit about your journey there. So with, with the tram program, actually, um, I went to delivering the program from being face-to-face -to, -face to being online with about uh, 24 hours notice uh, <laughs> and suddenly finding myself uh, in my... Luckily, I had a home office already because I had my own business. So uh, at least in that respect, I was you know, reasonably well set up to be able to deliver it. Um, but it was actually an all day, um, one day a week um, of face-to-face -face delivery. Uh, and we soon worked out that that 
didn't work so well over Zoom. Mm. So certainly we, we had to make some changes to um, to the format, to you know, the length of the presentations, um, you know, delivering coaching um, by Zoom as well. Um, so there are a bunch of things there that, that we've learnt along the way of you know, dealing with managing groups on, on Zoom that everyone gets a say and, and so forth. So facilitation skills. Um, but in a more general sense, I think navigating COVID, um, to my mind, going out and getting some sunshine every day is actually really important. So going for a walk. Um, so I make sure, yeah, like this morning, that the, the break is actually long enough um, yeah, between sections of the, the program. So now I run it as a half a day, but it's in two, even the half days in two sections. And there's a decent break that, you know, you can go outside, you know, maybe walk around the block, um, you know, do, do something in between, but not long enough that you get distracted off to something else. Yeah. Um, and I think just generally trying to make the, the mundane special, I think really looking for ways to, um, make things a bit different so um, yeah at home for instance we um, we've decided that Fridays you know is the day to have you know takeaway for dinner kind of thing so you know instead of you know oh we're cooking dinner again you know we might order dinner from um, you know the asylum seeker catering for instance or you know something like that just to to kind of break it up and and you know try and uh, combat a bit of that groundhog day approach yeah, I think, um, you know, I've spoken to a few people and I include myself in this um, uh, equation is that this this last lockdown is, um, I think it's probably affected a lot of people, like it's really hit hard. And I unfortunately think we're in for an extension. I'm just looking at the numbers. So by the time um, next week when this is on air, well, we'll know whether we're in another week yes. of lockdown. And, uh, you know, you, you sort of get to a little be a bit philosophical about it, you know, get vaccinated people. That's my um, my message out there. If you're having a tough day, hang in there. You know, this will end. Um, but, you know, like all tough things, we just have to get through it. Mm. And, and reach out and, and talk to someone about it that, one of the other things I've done is actually um, catch up with friends, you know, have a Zoom afternoon tea on the weekend or something. You know, you, you know, make biscuits or a cake or whatever, or, you know, get a packet of biscuits out of the cupboard, um, you know, and just sit down and, and have a chat that has, you know, just for the sake of seeing each other and, and catching up with each other and yeah. just talking about, you know, whatever it is I think we need to yeah, really take care of each other and, and be kind to each other at the moment. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, I do, I'm resonating with that Zoom fatigue of yours because, you know, I listen to people that have back-to-back Zoom meetings and I go, people, stop doing that. Like, no, no, no. You have a Zoom meeting, 15 minutes at least, where you get off your way from your screen, look outside, as you said, go and walk around your house, pat your dog, do whatever you do and then sit down. I in this day and age, I don't see honestly, like I don't see any reason for people to be sitting in front of the computer every day. I don't actually think it's good for you anyway. Mm. Yes, so. I agree. I, I try and have at least a 20 minute break to, you know, really be able to to get away um you know from the screen for a little bit. Yeah, we'll tell everyone, Leonor, out there, all our <laughs> listeners, we're telling you what to do. <laughs> Ignore us at your own peril is what I say. 
Listen, any closing thoughts you'd like to leave our listeners with? Um, so I suppose on, on that same journey, uh, on that same you know, topic, if you are struggling with, with the startup journey or, or if you're wondering it's just you, you know, reach out for support because odds on, you know, as you mentioned, Nikki, others are probably thinking the same thing or going through the same thing. And you know, knowing that and knowing you're not alone actually makes a huge difference to your cognitive load and therefore your well-being. Um, and yeah, I, I'm quite happy for, for people to reach out to me um, through you know, LinkedIn. Um, Idea to Opportunity has its own LinkedIn page that you can follow you know, my work there. Um, if you're interested in, in finding out you know, more about um, the Confidence Circle work or yeah, want to engage um, you know, in, in some coaching or you know, training. Fabulous. You've all been told now you know where to reach, Leonor. I can't recommend it highly enough. Do that. You've got the invitation. Um, listen, I, I, I so enjoyed our talk. You've got a wealth and depth of experience, as I said. Um, you may think there are lots out there. I don't actually believe there are that many of you in the world, <laughs> certainly not in Australia. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. I've really enjoyed it, Leonor. To our listeners, um, thank you for joining me again. And um, I look forward to uh, speaking with you again next week on Let's Talk Robotics. Thank you, Nikki.